I, I remember like songs with my jam band where I was thinking like, oh, this song is kind of the like song's tie dye, bro. It's kind of a yellowish, yellowish green. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This song, this song's pot leaf green, bro. Dude, it's like tie dye. <laughs> Should we start the show? Start the show. We're gear boomers and we like to talk about gear with the gear boomers. <laughs> gear boomers. Gear Buds Podcast, episode 184. My name is Henry. His name is Dave. Hello. We're wearing matching tees we today. We do have black matching t-shirts on today. And you're not going to see that because you're not here. And this is a freaking audio podcast. You can visualize if you prefer black t-shirts. Just, just imagine... Two cute boomers. I love a nice, around just a nice tees. fitted black tee. Sitting in the black tees. Great. Look. I went shopping, uh, two yeah last weekend I guess, and I've actually sort of rebuilt my wardrobe. Actually, so I went shopping, bought a bunch of stuff. I'm jealous. Last weekend, so that was two weeks ago. Last weekend, I basically uh, had. I'll be honest, folks, didn't have the best best mental health weekend. Kind of didn't leave the house all weekend. But what I did do is once I did get myself up off the couch purged all my clothes i went through every Dude, single piece of good. clothing that i have yep I, I donated two full stuffed garbage bags yep. already and then have another bag of stuff that i need to get tailored nice. feels great man feels what, real good any cool stuff that i would have liked you should have hit me up dude it was if it honestly no it was if it was it would have probably been like a little more too more worn looking than you would have wanted mm. you know what i so mean so it's just like clothes that were just old and worn out a bit older but also stuff that didn't fit just stuff that i or yeah. stuff that i'd never worn you yeah. know yeah, uh, and I did, and I ha- I did realize I have what I'm uh, now deeming the uh, my my wardrobe purgatory, where it's just like a a basket of that I don't use for anything else, mm-hmm. clothes, clothes basket that I have T-shirts that are either like historically important to me, yeah. but I'm never gonna wear again sure. in there, or other ones I'm like maybe if I like got back to the skinniest I was, yeah, the skinniest last summer, Hank or something. No, like no, the skinniest I ever was was like last. Oh summer, yeah, you were lean sure. last summer. I and, mean, not that you look thicker now okay well fat jokes Don't body shame yourself I mean, dude. I, but i am I'm, I'm like a solid 10 pounds heavier than i was last summer okay. so the point is like it, i had a couple shirts that i got in that span where i was like if i'm at just like the, i want a real tight shirt yeah. I, yeah anyways i've got this little purgatory setup so there there were some things that i wasn't like fully but at, at a certain point i did hit the fuck it stage and was just like all right let's go i'm getting rid of stuff and it felt real good you know what i did though and mm. i've talked about this before because i'm sentimental dave i i as I put the stuff in the bag, I just took a video. Everything I put in the bag so oh, I can wow. go back and look and see like, oh, yeah, like there's some shirts and stuff that I, I want to remember that I had. Because I, I, I take pictures before when I've done that in the past, I used to take pictures. But there were just so many things that I got rid of that I didn't want to do that individually. I have like a hoarder mentality when it comes to clothes. Yeah. Where I feel like in, in Mandy will force me to like throw them out. You know, at, at one point, she's like, you haven't. It, they, they say if you haven't worn it in a year, you should just throw it out or, or donate it or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, so. I uh, I have a hard time doing that, and then it will come back to bite me. I'll be like, I threw out this shirt, and now I miss it. Hmm. You know, it's happened with a lot of clothes. Yeah, I you, I think I think we miss the because I feel the same, but I think we miss the idea of it more <laughs> than actually wearing it. You know, yeah, dude. we miss who we were when we wore the shirt. Maybe that's what it is. Not the same person. Anymore. I don't know if this is going to make the pot. We'll this is see. Philosophical shit. It is, but I got a bunch of different clothes, and it and it feels really good. Feels good, feels man. And and it, yeah, I've. It's just it's nice. I I highly recommend it, folks. You get if you get the opportunity. I know it's coming from a place of privilege. If you have the privilege of having too much clothing, go through 
just have have yourself a little purge and donate the rest. You'll feel good about it. Here we go. Here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone <laughs> tubes. And thank you for listening to this ridiculous show that we make, uh, this Gear Boomers podcast that we have. Uh, follow us on the stuff. Subscribe on the stuff. Email us at the stuff. Gearbudspodcast at gmail.com. And if you reach out, we'll shout you out. And we've got stuff in the Gearbuds reverb shop, including a couple guitars. Uh, there's there's a lot of hot action happening on that Jazzmaster that's peek. up there. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. If, it might not be. It might not even be there by the time this comes out. But, you know. You never know. You don't know. I I did also do the uh, five dollar drop on the Aria just to trigger the email. just to get the uh, just to get the bounce because why not? Yeah. Okay, let's get into it. Hot Bloods, Dave's ripping band has a new song out. Oh, thanks for shouting that out, buddy. I appreciate what, what, that. What is it called, Dave? Uh, it's a new song called Bad Guy. Hell it's, yeah, it is. It's kind of a it's kind of a a, a more moderately tempo uh, kind of bouncier sort of sexy fun song. I feel like. Okay. Great. Um, you know, a lot of our stuff's a little more straightforward rocking, but I feel like this one's a little more. It's got some uh, got, got some, some keys. electric keys going on. It does played by Charlie Chardog. We're gonna have to play it live at some point, and so we're gonna be using an SPDX to do backing tracks. Mm-hmm. Jay is very excited. My drummer is very excited about this. I personally, I have mixed opinions on the backing tracks thing. Yeah, I think a band should should be able to perform their songs live, and you could still play that song without the keys. Yeah, it possible. doesn't need it, but it does add a lot because the mm-hmm. keys are kind of going through all of the songs, so you can tell if it's missing. But uh, yeah, it's it's exciting. But yeah, check it out. It's on Spotify and iTunes, and same place you uh, might be listening to this podcast right now. So and you could subscribe while you're there, and maybe give the Hot Bloods a follow while you're there. I would appreciate it. That, sounds man. real good. Thank you. I, I really liked it. Yeah, that's a that's a song that I never recorded with you guys or anything, so mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. as familiar with it, and uh, it it turned out great. Yeah, I, really I think we it. didn't when you came and saw us. I think we didn't even actually play. That I, song. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I recognize that one. It was up for debate. Um, but Sometimes yeah. those songs just they get cut from the list. You but we know. do have one already now that's mixed and ready to go. But we're like, we can't drop it too soon. So we're going to wait a little bit. But we got Give another the people one. people what they want. Got another one coming down the pipe. So get Love ready. Love it. Go check it out. Hot Bloods, Bad Guy. And while we're, while we're talking about Spotify, uh, I read an article. Uh, very interesting, Dave. And it was about, I don't the headline was something like, it's not your fault that nobody cares about your band or something like that. <laughs> and, and it was specifically about streaming on Spotify. Sure. And uh, according to a recent study by Music Business Worldwide, the number of songs uploaded to Spotify has passed 100,000 a day with that number expected to continue to grow exponentially. You're telling me that the the song we uploaded yesterday was one of one over 100,000. 100,000. <laughs> wow. Isn't that staggering? That's cr- I mean, okay, and you know, we are in the age where you could make a song right now before the end of this podcast and we could upload it to Spotify, right? It could mm-hmm. be that quick. You know, we all, you know, a lot of people have there, studios. You have to get approval with both podcasts, but yeah, for effectively, that's yeah, right. It's you have right to, away. you have to run it through the, they have like a processing, yeah. you know, it took like a day, I think for ours to originally. Process. And then now it's it, actually now it's closer to like a couple hours. For, right. Yeah. Right. Um, Point being. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, also, there are 433 million monthly active users. Uh with that number jumping up to 456 million in the third quarter of 2022. So there are so many people listening while the there's this still this explosion of the amount of songs that are being put out that it's, I mean, it's, it is almost impossible to get your band heard. Totally. Do you, let me ask you a question. Um, what if they just took away 
obviously they keep track of all these records, but what if they just took away the visual of knowing how many plays a song gets? What do you think that would do to like people's psyches and like what songs they would choose to listen to hmm. first? Now you can still have the algorithm that says, oh, you know, this playlist is recommended for you, which you I just think hide is a that. Great thing. Particular you just piece had the, the, the physical number mm-hmm. on the screen, like like right now, the song we just uploaded. Obviously, it just says you know, less than it says a thousand. less than a thousand. Yeah. And then you'll look at like you know, it's just funny. I was talking about this with a buddy, but Luke Combs, he's like a country singer okay. or something like that. But he has like 13 million subscribers, and like mm-hmm. each song has like you know 200 million plays and all this. And I'm kind of like, why do we need that information? You know? Yeah, I guess it's, it's interesting. I'm trying to think it through. In some ways, we've always sort of had that information. We had the like the charts, like billboard charts and right. whatnot, and that's where we used to find the out. The ranking. Like, because it used to be how many, the number used how to be sold. how many records you sold. Right? Exactly. So we used to have that. Now, I guess the proxy for that, we've all decided in the streaming era how many is plays. plays. Right. I just wonder if it's like what that's doing. Because like, I know I'll go check out a band, which I'm going to talk about in Dave's Doc, which I haven't really known much of their music and i went on oh and by the way listen to the space hog record this week and so there's a good example where you have in the meantime which was the song we were talking mm-hmm. about last week with like 150 million plays and then you go to the next track and it's like you know three thousand mm-hmm. or something like that so it's just i wonder if people would give the whole record a better chance maybe if you couldn't see the plays but did you like the record it was forgettable okay but it was okay but in the meantime was clearly the, i, I the told standout. you they have a song called space hog which, which is a which is like a black crows rock and roller kind of <laughs> kind of straight ahead, you know, with a dude with a space hog. Maybe it's an open G. Yeah, absolutely open G. But anyways, I digress. But it, you know, I think uh, I just wonder what it would do to, to to people's influence on listening to things. You know, there's probably people that are like, oh, I just want to hear the one song, and then oh, the next song doesn't have any plays, so I'm just going to skip that song. Yeah, if, if the general that must that must affect it. us in some way, even I if it's so. subconscious. I, so. I, I don't know if it. For some of us, like I wonder how steely our feelings are and, and emotions and ties these songs are. If we are, like, if you, are, I guess, I wonder. It, it seems likely to me that for a new artist or a new song that you've never heard before, it would be really easy to be influenced by seeing the number of plays. Yes, I, I don't think that I am as influenced on music that I've already developed an attachment to. Totally. I don't think that that would bother me. And I think and me and you are me. similar in the sense that we we enjoy albums. I, at least I do, yeah. and I think you do. Where I, I really want to listen from front to back in the, in the order that the artist put it together. I really appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to listen to the record. But I know a lot of people just, you know, boom, clicker. I mean, I've always made playlists my oh, whole yeah. life because I would all, I would make mixed tapes and mm-hmm. mixed CDs. So that's always part of it, too. But I also, yeah, I, I mean, I was just showing you off another yeah. album that I got. So, yeah. Uh, before we leave the Spotify thing, there was a quote from, I think it was like some executive at Sony. And uh, they're they're they give some numbers. Ninety percent of creators on Spotify have fewer than forty or four hundred monthly listeners. That's wow. four hundred monthly listeners out of an audience of over four hundred million just on Spotify. So that means like a lot of people are just all listening to the same stuff. Yeah, it means yeah. that ninety percent of uploaders are engaging less than one millionth of the platform. It's again sort of stressing back to the point that it's almost impossible to get your band heard it's, it's so hard it's great it's so fucking great hard. timing with this article i know by the way, yeah, I have to you're say. welcome that's awesome uh also awesome and i don't well maybe awesome mm-hmm. i don't know because we just discovered this this week somehow american string company yeah how have we never talked about these are they new no they're not uh in fact 
They are the only string maker for Steinway and Sons pianos and just about other fine every other fine pa- piano man- manufacturer for more than 100 years. I mean, I'm not a pianist, so I wouldn't know what like kind one. of <laughs> what kind of strings <laughs> are in the pianos. I've I've never had to purchase piano strings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know they make guitar they strings. They make guitar strings, they make bass strings, they make mando strings Did maybe you, uh, they maybe throw some uke strings i don't know i'd don't be tempted so. and i gotta say for the flat wound bass strings they're like 32 bucks dude uh, they're that's a hell not of a deal. expensive they're the guitar strings are in the more of that sort of like string joy boutique american made string thing where I, it was like uh electric guitar strings were between 13 and 35 dollars okay. ba- but yeah bass strings were yeah those for flats, flats are usually bucks. 50 bucks you know? I, I was Chromes very surprised to see that I, i'd yeah. be tempted to get a pair to tr- set to try them out i think you should because i, I don't have any more string. bases to put strings well, on. i don't really I just, i'm gonna have to buy another bass just to buy well, some then you definitely should i think that's a good reason i or just you just gave me some old stringy boys for yeah. the eb3 and they sound good i love them yeah or so, eb2 sorry. yeah they are the roto sound mm-hmm. from the flat ones. but they've got five generations of craftsmanship mm-hmm. they use their own wire mills which is a big deal because i think a lot of people understand if you don't most of the string brands out there are all made at the same factory. Oh, yeah. Like they're all kind of outsourced from a few, I think it was like three or some people say 2.5 factories, mm-hmm. but they have their own mills, their own machines. They've been doing it for ever. That's cool. Know, effectively. So yeah. they, they definitely do their own thing. Uh, it's all U S based metals, which is kind of interesting. I don't, I don't know where the other companies get their strings from, but. Maybe it's not from the U.S. I don't even know if U.S. medals are better. Don't know. I'm a freaking patriot, though. Go America. <laughs> wave the right. flag. Uh, but people, it's, I, I did wind up then going down a little bit of a forum rabbit hole and trying to see if people cared about them. And some, and it doesn't seem like many folks are using them, but the, those that did, I, I, I brought up Strange Joy because of a comment. I saw someone compare them to them and said that they sort of like last the same amount of time, have a similar build quality. Okay. They really liked them. So I don't know. I, I want to check them out. Did you give them a spin? Because I listened to the uh, some of the demos they posted. I didn't because you know, I don't know what that even means. That's So as I put it on, I was like, oh, I'm really excited to hear these. Yeah. It's probably, I mean, honestly, for me, it would be more of a feel thing anyways. Like exactly. if they felt really good, I could play better. I'll change the, I'll mo- tweak my treble knob on my yeah, amp if I like but how I, it feels. But I, uh, I listened to the demo and then like in five seconds, I was like, why am I listening to this? You've got... <laughs> They don't tell you what kind of guitar it is. They don't tell you what mic they use. They don't tell you what the amp is. It's just like a quick video of like a guitar. Yeah. Riff. So I was kind of like, this is kind of dumb, uh, but I'd give them a try. They, yeah. And I just, I, the fact that I, I would like to be able to say that these are the same, same strings as you get on your freaking Steinway. That's kind of cool. It's kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, how about on an acoustic guitar? That's where I think it could really make Cause they difference. do make the acoustic strings too. You know what? I think I might buy a set for my next acoustic and you know what? guitar string change. I think we should get going on shipping together. We'll do a little group order. A little group order. Do I'm it. In. Sick. One more thing I want to talk about before we get to the freaking docky docs. Uh, and it's and it's not super directly gear related, but it is music related and, and certainly related to something we've covered uh, perhaps ad nauseum, depending on your perspective, uh, which is fucking boomer talk uh, about the Beatles. Mm. And as we were listening to before the show, uh, the Revolver, Be- the Beatles' 1966 uh, classic record record has been remixed and remastered by Giles Martin, and uh, it's pretty. It's interesting. Let's. What do you, I, I don't want to influence the conversation to start. What do you? What did you? What I know that you listened to it. What do you think? I listened to it on my headphones, and um, which are like cheaper, like JBL Bluetooth headphones. They're mm-hmm. not anything special. Um, and I and I will say I noticed more of a difference on your monitors when I walked in today. Mm-hmm. Just kind of the separate. And maybe because I I wasn't planning on hearing it and i kind of walked in and was yeah. like this sounds like the beatles but it sounds 
a lot different on your speakers. Well, and we're we were listening to all the outtakes at this right, point too. Right. So, so there, the record came out, and then there's it's like separated by disc numbers on Spotify. But I think there's five extra discs. Yeah. So, so the main one I, yeah. I listen to at home. Right. Exactly. There were certain songs where I could absolutely tell, like you could hear. I think it was uh, she said she said or something, mm-hmm. and it was like. It sounded like there were like five guitars going on at once. It was really kind of cool. Right. And so this is kind of the reason that we're talking about it because, yeah, it, it's it, I do want to get, sort of get into your thoughts on just like remixing classic records in general. But really the reason is because they've used this crazy technology born out of the Get Back documentary series yeah. to have access to these tracks. So basically the record was done on a four track. And when you went back then and now if you're going to record on a four track, what you do is you you dump the tracks over so you like you, you, bounce, you, bounce, bounce, you bounce bounce around you've you record four separate tracks once you get them to a place you like you bounce those all down to one smash it one track one. and yeah. then that opens up three more that yep. you can now record so layer on, it up which is it's a cool technique a cool technique own, yeah. and it was obviously necessary and innovative at the time but it also makes it impossible or it had made it previously impossible to remix these right, things because you, you can't, can't take separate those tracks anymore yeah. however because of all the ai and craziness that they use to get the vocals and stuff out of get back for the documentary. Now they're applying that to old multi-track recordings. That's crazy, dude. And because it's Giles Martin, who's the son of George Martin, he's been the guy that's sort of like done all these previous remasters and updates and right. all that sort of stuff. He's, he was given, I don't, I don't really know the sort of Genesis of it. Like who was like, yo, yo, Mr. Martin, <laughs> or maybe Sir Martin at the, I would guess. I at this point. Sir, yeah, probably. Uh, can you demix this record and yeah. then remix it? Uh, but it's it's weird because that's th- that I, revolver for me is the first Beatles record in their like in time in their timeline that I still listen to a lot. Like sure. it's the earliest record that I actually like go back to and listen to start okay. to finish. Yeah. So I'm I I would say I'm very, heard that. Fa- very familiar with the record. Yeah, yeah, I would say. And so. it was kind of a jarring experience to listen to it the first time, even on like the same headphones and speakers and stuff that yeah. I've listened to it on before because it's it's not one of those remix remasters where it's like. Oh, they just like made it a little bit louder and, yeah. and maybe sort of like uh, pulled some of the noise like out. Like it, it was, you weren't underwhelmed with how like what they did with it. No, no, no. It, it's they. He made. I feel like sort of. I don't know if I'd call them musical decisions, but there are certainly like artistic choices made that sound different. And 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 honestly, like I would say modern. I was gonna say the 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 impression that I got was it sounds like the Beatles recorded. As if they recorded today or something, in Which a weird way. Which is weird. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a head trip because they're not. That was from 1966, <laughs> right? But I, the, the the theoretical portion of this conversation, or I suppose the uh, you know ephemeral, is that do we th- is it necessary? Should we be taking records? made with a certain artistic vision in a certain time and place and then applying today's taste and standards to those records in order to allow that i I get i get you want to compete to it's certainly a loudness level like if if you're coming up after fucking harry styles or whatever like that's going to be a loud super modern pop record like you need to at least be in that same range but to then i what i would call like we're saying these sort of like artistic musical choices right to then kind of alter those original songs to that i don't it makes me feel a little it makes me feel icky i think so i i I get where you're coming from and i wonder i guess i wonder what the overall idea slash application is behind this because when i think about it i go oh it's like a novelty like it's fun to hear 
the songs remixed in a fun way. Mm -hmm. But if this is going to be what like the radio stations are going to take and start putting on instead of the original mix, Mm -hmm. Taxman or something like that, then you're like, oh, well, now you're just presenting it in a way to somebody who maybe never heard it before that this is what the Beatles are supposed to sound like when really it's kind of not. Dude, you actually, you, you, you hit the nail on the head and Giles Martin himself acknowledges and he said specifically that he had a quote playlist list playlist listening younger audience uh-huh. in mind when remixing this because then they're not listening to revolver start to finish they're putting tax man sure. or tomorrow never knows i yeah. don't know on whatever on a playlist and again you don't want it to just be like this weird drop or i guess they don't want it to be this weird dropout in the middle of a playlist like a sonic yeah you're saying like just because of the way those original ones are kind of flatter sounding exactly yeah yeah which you know you just turn your speakers up a little bit but then there's whatever there's uh, complications he also made an interesting point when he was saying that uh he uh, if you look at spotify the most listened to to go back to the availability of those metrics Mm -hmm. the most listened to record is abbey road like by a long shot and he thinks that it it could be because they're a much more dynamic record that was done on eight tracks with a lot, lots more sort of available room to mix things in a, in an interesting Mm. and unique and weird way. And he thinks that that is versus like, you know, the early mono records, which are kind of just like one thing center channel down the middle, which are actually my preference. I actually like those. I was going to mention those. Yeah. uh, It's a, he think he, to the modern listener there's, he thinks that it's because, they had the more modern techniques so that's sort of like the i guess rationalization or justification hmm. for this project but uh, i think of it as fun weird i think it's a fun thing but i don't know if that should if these should take over as like the quintessential this is what the beatles are supposed to sound like well it's i mean when i go and listen to it if i decide to want to listen to revolver in a week or two am yeah. i which one I, yeah which one am i going to go i don't know i i would i would assume you would probably listen to the new ones just because you haven't heard them that way yeah you know as much um, and if and then eventually that, that will just become the sort of regular one. <laughs> right. Me. Well, that's kind of what I'm afraid of is it becomes the standard. And then we go back and then we're like, we have this technology. We're going to go back through like old records and start doing this for the stones and doing it for like all these other people who use that four track. Dude, I've got to figure it out. Yeah. I know what we need to do. What? Fuck this. Flip it right on its head. Take new records. Remix them to sound like old records. Dude, that's kind of cool. I'd listen. I'd listen to that. I would experiment with it, like especially if it's something really popular that you you've heard a lot and you know. Yeah. You not know? like the, you know, like lo-fi necessarily, but just no. to that flatter and that compressed sort mm-hmm. of vintage tubey gooey thing. We could do that. I mean, like, I mean, maybe we should just cut this part out. <laughs> no, it's cool. That's a cool idea, man. I don't know. And like the, the, my last thought on it. And it's kind of playing on what we we're just talking about. I just I don't want to get to a point with this AI technology where we are perfecting yes music, dude. Where we're, where we're ironing out too many wrinkles. That's a great way to sum this all up. I totally agree with you, man. Because I feel like their imperfections are what make it perfect. Sometimes. You know? <sighs> <laughs> just, just made my thighs jiggle. Let's just sit here a second. <laughs> just sit in that for a moment and um, let's do no i totally agree with you man i mean that's yeah that, especially with rock and roll you know i mean it's what it's supposed to be yeah i, I, I maybe and and hell maybe if pop music had more uh, blemishes it would be even it would be even better you know it's i hadn't thought about this uh wasn't planning on talking about it but have you, have you ever listened like really listened to the song uh like what was oh fuck i can't think of the name of it what was alicia keys biggest hit keep on falling 
No. That oh, uh, somebody do, 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 do. Uh, She's like belting the whole time as one of her earlier songs. That might be it. Um, it is. I ain't got nothing. I think that's called. I think that might be it. Yeah. Uh, John Mayer did a pretty sick duet with her on it. Maybe it's not it. I don't know. It's a, okay. whatever song it is. I'll have to follow up in the symphony. It is very out of tune. I had Ooh. never paid attention to this, and then we were talking about. I was talking about this with my friend Mel. The recording, the studio, recording. the studio recording, and she was like, "Has have you ever?" Ta- Some song was bothering me for being out of tune, and I was talking <laughs> about it. And she was like, "Have you ever listened to that song?" And I was like, "Well, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've heard it, yeah. but then I put it on, and I was like, oh my god, there's like very serious moments where the vocals are wildly sharp or flat." And then I was like, "This can't be like I." Am I really hearing this? And then I just searched. I like I typed the name of the it's song and then looked at like autocomplete results, and it was like the first one was like people blah, have blah, heard this. out of tune, and then there are like long threads of people actually wow. measuring and going through. And but the average listener, my wife is going to be crushed. They're never like going to notice song. that. Though. Yeah, I don't. It, I, we'll have to tell I'll if it's that song. I know, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. have to figure out what no, song that'd it is. Funny. The average listener doesn't give a shit because yeah. they're just used to hearing this out of tune yeah. song that had been played in played and played and played over and over but I see where you're, I see where you're going with this you're if we perfect it it would would it have had the same right. if, if it if it wasn't out of tune would yeah. people still care about it totally. I probably not mm-hmm. I mean maybe but probably not I totally agree so let's not do that folks yeah let's 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 just take preaching it easy. at the choir here yeah all you freaking, freaking all you machines listen yeah. to this podcast uh fucking relax <laughs> they're gonna it. shove us to the bottom of the thing now oh the home, algorithm home, the algorithm is yeah. like at, F those oh, you're trying luddites. to you're trying to blow the roof off this thing. Going to the bottom. We're just gonna have to finally follow through on that analog only uh, podcast we were yeah. talking about. We'll uh, mail you a, a, rec- a forty five of our uh, episodes. a stack of like 47, <laughs> 45s <laughs> for one when it's a beaver. Be so good, man. Real cost effective, great for the environment. Oh, and you know what else is cost effective and great for the environment? Dave's docs. Dave's docs is cost effective and good for the environment. It's Dave's Docs. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I just want to do a little shout out really quick because I usually don't check my phone during these, but I'm getting my phone out. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a text from our friend Zach Livingston that it, uh, Asphodel Wine is going to be playing at the Cobra Lounge next Friday night. So oh. he uh, cordially invited us. Look at that. It's almost like he, maybe he knew we were podding right now. I was like, right? oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit those boys up and get them a little freaking plug in the show. So right. let's plug them. We love Zach. Yeah. Might have we to love Asphodel Wine. That might be we fun. love Cobra Lounge. Yeah, go to it if you're in right down the street. So, um, what are we going to talk about? So, I'm going to talk about a band that I I've heard of, but I didn't know I didn't know who who they were. I've heard I've heard their main hit single for sure, and they're called. Oh Oh, no 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 no! Let me give me a hint. I want to guess. I never get to guess. Uh, I'll get. I'll give you the era and the yeah. So they're like late 70s, okay, early 80s, Mm -hmm. and they're. Kind of a hard rock. Uh, I would lump them in with um, Foreigner, Journey, Deep Purple, Maiden, Zeppelin. Kind of in that. Okay. Uh, they get compared to Rush a lot. Toto? No. Okay. Close. Um, They're a three-piece. Yes. See, I feel like you might not guess. Yes? No, oh. but that's actually really close, too. Three-piece, power trio, sort of sounds like... Power trio. Rush in... I, I, you're not going to guess it, I bet, because I didn't even know the name of this band, but I've heard the song. Before. I want to. I want to get a couple more guesses. Uriah Heep. I bet if I told no, but I bet if I told you the name of the song and you'd know it uh-huh. in your head and you still wouldn't. Okay, know who did do it. it. Lay it on the line. 
Lay it on the line. Wasp? No. Fuck, Close. I don't know. Uh, not quite as hair metal as Wasp. It's a little band called Triumph. My Triumph. Have you, oh, I never do you know of the, Triumph? I know the name Triumph. I've, and heard I've never, the name? I've never listened to them or dug into the catalog or anything. Well, let me tell you, Triumph do. has a new documentary out. Just wow. came out twenty twenty one called Rock and Roll Machine, <laughs> Hell yeah. which is the name of their record, I guess, or like one of their big records that came out. The first one, maybe. Okay, is it all? It, does it have anything to do with the motorcycles? Nope. Because I think they just thought it was a badass name. Which, but also, I mean, I just feel like a triumph is a rock and roll machine itself. Yeah. Anyways. No, they didn't. Yeah. They actually, you know, they never talked about the origin of the name in this, huh. which, uh, so they're from Canada. So that's why they get confused with Russia. Oh. They're actually from Toronto as well, which T-dot. I believe is where, where Shout Russia's out from. YYZ. Um, so everyone was like, oh, you either like triumph or you like rush. Like you had to pick a team. Dude, which camp funny. are you in? Are you still, would you, are you a rusher? Are you a Russian? Dude, you know what I will say? And I think I've been talking a lot of shit about <laughs> Rush ne- lately. You have been, and I've never heard someone refer to Rush fans as Russians, and I insist that we <laughs> do that <laughs> we from now on. We start it, mm-hmm. get the t-shirts, boom, gear boomers on the back, and Russians on the front. In the Rush font. Oh, my <laughs> fucking God. I oh, yeah, with the big so curly. Hard. like Yes. Oh, that'd be sweet. Um, so I actually, I think I might, song-wise, I think I like Triumph a little more. And bass tone-wise. Bass tone wise, for sure, I like Triumph. You don't like the clank. They don't do the clanky clang on the bass. <laughs> um, so it's three three members, power trio. Rick Emmett is the guitar player, vocalist, phenomenal guitar player. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna tell you, I'm talking a little bit more about that. Gil Moore is the drummer. He also does lead vocals for not some Dave, songs. not Dave Moore. No, Gilmore. Oh, Dave Gilmore. No, yeah. Gilmore. Not, sure. God, very very funny. There Actually, I just put that together. That's wow. great. I didn't know why that right mm, over my head. You know, uh, Mike Levine was the bass player. So anyways, uh, it's a cool doc because they talk about the history, but they're also crossing that footage with like a current day footage of them getting together and doing a show for their fans. And they have this really like strong cult following. They went in like, you know, down in the basements of some of their super fans and they've got like 200 photos on the wall mm. and like autographed guitars and T-shirts and you know, all uh, uh, these nice young ladies who started following them when they were like 15 and they're still like totally obsessed. But these are mostly Canadians, right? That's I think not, there's they, a lot of Canadian like stuff going on. Thing. Well, they, they, they blew up in the U.S. Okay. Um, when they finally got over here. But they started off, yeah, playing in, playing in Canada and honestly just crushing, man. Um, just crushing like Russians. Crushing like Russians. They, uh, Hard Rock, let's see here, Hard Rock Power Trio. Okay, so basically they formed in like 75. The, okay. Um, Gil and Mike, the drummer and the bass player, were friends from like '68. There were a couple I other bands. I wish I had a friend named Gil. I had a friend named Gil. He wasn't a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this was funny. Somehow they got a they got a record label without having a guitar player. Um, in like 1975, they basically said like he's like how did they? They're did asking they have a demo? like Gil. Yeah, they put together a demo and they didn't really mention who played guitar on it, but it's something worked and like they were like. No, we're we're a band. Like, give us a record label, and they're like, okay. Mm-hmm. So they just got a label. Uh, then they got their guitar player. They met him like a you know a few months later. They met Rick Emmett. Uh, so the, what they would do is, you know, like back in the day, especially I think in Canada, because they had a different thing with bars and playing gigs. If you weren't that big, you would play um, high schools. Hmm. Even you know, and not not as a high schooler, but like you know, right. in your twenties, you play high school dances and. You know, that's where they would throw shows. So they would roll up. They had an 18-wheeler. Like, they started with a van. What? Okay, well, here's the thing about this band. <laughs> I guess I kind of skipped over this. They are, like, they're, 
they consider themselves as the ultimate live experience. We're talking pyro. We're talking old school light setup, like with the name Triumph and huge lit letters behind them. Like they would need an 18 wheeler to get all their gear. And this is originally, this is how they started. This is how they started because they had that record deal. So they had money. Oh, wow. So they were like, we're going to spend it all on the band. And like, let's just buy like insane amps, you know, definitely have to have like Marshall stacks on both sides. Dude, fake it till you make it. I feel that huge. So, um, they, they started out, they were kind of talking about the early days. They started out with sparklers on their headstocks. Nice. And like dry ice, just like really dumb, cheap little ways. I to love that. Just make it look a little more exciting than they never wanted to just like stand there and play. Like Zach, I know you're listening to this Asphodel wine gig. <laughs> I demand sparklers and dry ice. There's a scene where he talks about in the early days, he bought a blowtorch off a guy. <laughs> And he was like, it would shoot a 14-foot flame. And they showed... Fucking Rammstein? Yeah, it's crazy. They, Dude, Rammstein stole everything from these guys. <laughs> Except for maybe Triumph the... Triumph is basically proto-Rammstein. The giant phallus. I think that Rammstein came up with that one. Sure. These guys did not. Um, but yeah, they, they basically thought the bigger the stage show, the better the whole thing would be. Uh, a lot like Rush, Working Man blew up in Cleveland... Mm. They had a single. I don't. I think it was their cover of Rocky Mountain Way, which they did based on the Joe Walsh song. I don't uh, remember the, that. Uh, James Gang. Yeah. Yeah. They did their own cover. I feel like you'd hear if you'd heard it, you'd be like, oh, I thought that was just a version of like the song, but it's actually their cover. Mm-hmm. Of it. Uh, but it blew up in San Antonio and they were like huge in Texas. So they're like, all right, we got to go to the US. Uh, we got to go check it out. And basically they, they had a gig at Massey Hall, which is a big Canadian venue. Mm. And they were basically like, Massey Hall was like, you can't perform here. You're going to burn this place down. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were legitimately concerned because the building's like an old theater. Yeah. That like if you shoot off a pyro and use smoke bombs. So they, they canceled their show because they found out like that they have all this, you know, pyrotechnics and shit. And then they were like, all right, we'll book us at the Maple Leaf Gardens. And then whoever they talked to was like, okay, you can play there. Put them out on the ice, motherfuckers. Which is where the Toronto Maple Leafs yeah. play, I assume, still. And... uh yeah, they're like, all right, you could just play this hockey stadium. And they were like, they got out there and they were like, what the fuck did we do? Because, like, you know, they show up, but people came and they fucking rocked it. See, in the 70s, there was a thing about, <laughs> and I, I miss this from all the docs. I miss this from today's, and, you know, especially with having the song come out this week and everything. It was, it's, it almost feels harder to, like, spread the word about stuff in that, like, natural way. Like, when, a, a 1,000%. You know, like, because everybody's, like, you know, 100,000 100, songs a day, you know, mm-hmm. on Spotify, and you're like, check out my band, and nobody cares. But back then, if somebody heard a song on the radio, they would play whole records on the radio sometimes, you know, like, you know, front to back, or at least play one side of a record and stuff like that. So it was kind of neat. So that's how they, they kind of gained a lot of uh, momentum. Um, then they opened up their own studio. I like this quote a lot, and I think you'll appreciate this. So they opened up their own studio, which still exists, which is where they did their um, kind of like the fan event show that, they, mm. that they're that they kind of working up to throughout this documentary. Um, and in 81, they built the studio called Metalwork Studio. You can look it up. I think Prince is recorded there, Christina Aguilera. Like, there's been a lot of major acts cool. that track there. Um, Guns N' Roses. Wait, did you say in Toronto? I think it's in Toronto, yeah. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm almost 100% mm-hmm. sure. But it's called Metalworks, all one word. Um they uh, they basically said, so in 81, they had some money because they've been touring a little bit, getting some success with Lay It On The Line, it was a big song. And he goes, uh, they go, well, you know, we should go to the studio. And then he said, Gil's the kind of guy, if you ask him what time it is, he tells you to go build a watch. <laughs> so it was like, all right. So basically, they're like, we're going to build a recording mm-hmm. studio and we're just going to do the, everything from now on in this studio. So that's kind of badass. There's not that. a lot of bands were doing do that in the early that. 80s, you know. Um, I was trying to think of the one doc I just watched where somebody did that. 
They just built out a studio. Damn it, I can't remember. But it was a, it was a very uncommon thing back then. Uh, did you say is it the 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 guitarist sings or is it a, a bass bass? The, no, the bass player doesn't sing, but the guitar player and the drummer both sing. Okay, and so wait, does the drummer sing lead? Yeah. Oh, cool. To the drummer, so that's Gil. He's like the hype man. He's like he would come out at the beginning of the show and be like. Are you fucking ready to run? <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah. And then, you know, then the guitar would start shredding. He'd run back to the drums and start doing a crazy fill. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was all high energy all the time. Um, none of them like drank or anything like that. They were just, just about music. They were really about like uplifting lyrics and trying to get people excited and everything. So uh, I'm going a little long, but I would say their biggest gig to date was they played the Us Festival in 83 in California. I don't know what that is. He, like one of the biggest festivals America's ever had. Hmm. Um, just and Steve Wozniak was the organizer, and so he came out and like introduced oh, him. I have heard. I of think that. the police did it. I, it's like every band that was famous in '83. Motley Crue played it. Van Halen was a big headliner for it. Um, so Steve Wozniak came and like introduced. He was like, "Steve, will you introduce us?" And he's like, "I'm. I don't really know." He didn't do that for any of the other bands, and they're like, "Come on, Steve, just run out there and just be like, you know, triumph." So he did, and everyone went nuts. The Woz, you know, the Woz, dude. So pretty fucking awesome, actually. Stop what you're listening to right now and go Google the uh, Rick Emmett, and it's Rick R-I-K, just to clarify. Mm-hmm. Rick Emmett guitar solo from the Us Festival in 1983. Fucking, they played it on the on the dock. Fucking brilliant, dude. Really? Is it a, like one, a solo, just a solo guitar? Just like him and the thing? guitar, no other instrument. And at one point, he's running back and forth on the stage doing the kind of like, you know, the Eddie Van Halen, like the big run mm-hmm. and jump type thing. And then he sits down on the edge of the stage and just starts doing this like classical piece. And they're like, what the fuck, dude? This guy is a monster fucking Damn. guitar player. So I'm definitely going to check that out. Very, very cool. Um, yeah. gear spotties. Tons of gear spots. Well, real quick. So yeah. basically what happened, they just burned out the guitar player, Rick. He's like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But they made their money. They made a ton of money. Um, they let down a lot of people. Their last gig was for 12,000 people, and there were already rumors that he was going to quit. So everybody kind of showed up mm. to that festival or whatever it was. And uh, kind of said their goodbyes, and then he felt really bad about it. This was it. in the like mid '80s or something. Yeah, exactly. And they were just burning out. They picked up uh, Phil X, the guitar player of Bon oh, Jovi. Yeah. So he played with them for a while, and they I didn't showed know some, that. They showed some footage of that, and it was kind of funny because they're like, they just sound so much heavier. Like dude, Phil X shreds. Dude, he's awesome. But they were also like, this isn't the same. Like yeah. we're you know we're a trio, and you can't just replace one of the legs. Mm-hmm. But it was great. He played with them, I think, for like eleven gigs or something. He even felt weird about it. He's like, this is like a huge undertaking to try to do this guy's parts. Uh, so then, thirty years later, they did the big fan gig, uh, and it was pretty fucking awesome. It's a great story. It was happy at the end. They're all buddies again and all that stuff. Um, I, love I that. think they even went on a tour. Again. How Canadian? Yeah, very Canadian. Very nice. Lots of gear spots. And mm. I was thinking of this as I was writing gear spots today. Mm. Because uh, I like to try to take my gear spots while the while it's on and not try to remember everything. Yeah, of course. And I think late 70s band documentaries have the best gear spots. I, dude, I would have to agree. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You're going to have, you know, you're going to have, you might see a, a Les Paul burst because mm-hmm. they, you know, they were valuable, but they weren't like insane. Not yet. Um, you might see some cool vintage fenders. You might see a lot of modified guitars. And mm-hmm. then you're starting to get also into like the hair metal stuff where you're seeing some wacky Deans. And some crazy stuff. So I got some stuff for you. Yeah. The main guitar player that Rick plays, and the main guitar that Rick plays is a Framus Ackerman guitar. Do you know what this Framus. is? Framus. I know what a Framus is. I don't know what an Ackerman. So is. imagine um like a, a Les Paul Sunburst with an F hole in it, and just a kind of a different shaped headstock. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of a thicker body too, almost like a um, what's the Gibson with the big thick like thick body? with two C's? Like thick. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, so kind of a cool guitar. And then he was playing um, a black Gibson standard, Les Paul standard, that looked like it had the DiMarzio Super D's in it. Your favorite. Super D's. Cream, the cream Super D's. Um, obviously, Marshall Stacks. Gibson 1275, which is the double neck SG oh, yeah. style. EDS, baby. Um, so here's, the, here's my favorite part. The bass player. His favorite bass of all time. And I had to go and look this up because I'm like, that looks familiar. Mm-hmm. He plays a 63 jazz bass, white, with no pickguard. No way. Swear to God, that's my bass. I'm like, weird. Well, I mean, I have a 62, but like, whatever. It's the same fucking thing. Weird. And I was like, this is so cool. It, that's kind of my shit. So I Googled it because I wanted to know what year it was and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And in an interview with Guitar Player, Bass Player Magazine, he was like, uh, yeah, it's, he bought it for 170 bucks from like some country western guy. And he's used it ever since, pretty pretty much exclusively. And one time they were in the studio and Prince was there. Prince needed to borrow a jazz bass for something. And he borrowed it. And he's like, can I keep this? And he's like, fuck, no, you can't keep it. <laughs> and he said, he said he wouldn't disclose, but Prince offered him a lot of money for it. Mm-hmm. And he still said no. Yeah. So pretty magical fucking bass. Um, Gibson Vs. There was a Dean Flying V that had the, like the Dimebag Daryl headstock on it. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. The split, the split heady. The split head, which... I was thinking about that whole thing with Dean and Gibson and everything, and mm. I was like, man, they have those headstocks, though. You can't really steal that. It's the body. It's the it's body. body. See, those fuckers. Anyways, uh, then there was like a pointy headstock Jackson thing and a Spectre bass at some point. They do interviews with Sebastian Bach, uh, the singer of Sticks. The Trailer Park Boys are in it, which is kind of Hell fun. yeah. Uh, Brian Postain and John Five was even uh, being interviewed in it. John so. Five has shown up a lot these He's days. He's showing up a lot. You know, I feel like there's a big circular thing going on. It's also a fun doc because they do some of the little scenes where they're telling a story and they use uh, animation. Oh. Which I love. You dude. do love that. I do because what it's fun. What was that one? That one it was maybe HBO or Showtime show. Yeah. It was animated. Oh, uh, Sparks Brothers when they did that. No, I'm thinking of it was a series. Oh, you're talking about Showtime, uh, Tales from the Tour Bus. Tales from the Tour Bus, yeah. there it is. Yeah, and if you guys haven't seen that, Mike Judge, it's fucking awesome. That was a Dave's doc. Yeah, it was. Um, so yeah, I fucking loved it. I gave it eight out of eight, eight and a half out of ten flamethrowers. <laughs> it's available on Amazon Prime. Go check out Rock and Roll Machine. Oh, was it a free one? Uh, no, I paid three it's bucks. It's a I paid three bucks. Uh, so... I'm assuming that I mean obviously between just like the footage on the documentary have you like have you actually listened to any other triumph now so having not really watch this no I'm, um, I'm curious if you are gonna like because I know that you're I don't know if I'd say a hater but like yeah you're not the biggest rush guy and I would I'm no. really curious to know in the battle of Canadian <laughs> power trios who who would win for you now well I like I like the music I think I like Triumph better, man. Just their style and what what is it? Uh, It's the, in the overall, like, I mean, they do a lot of songs where you're like, oh, this is a Rush song. Like, you know, like, you know, singing about like, you know, uh, Hobbits and shit. And, you know, Um, so they get, they get real like mystical like that. You know, you know who else sang about hobbits and shit? Fucking Zeppelin, right? (laughs) (laughs) Triage, dude. So, yeah, I fucking loved it. Check out Triumph and at least at least lay it on the line, you know. Just, I think that's just good. Songs advice. literally Even in my if head. If you're not right talking now. about Triumph, just lay it on the line. It's good advi- advice, no matter what. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Do good one. Good yeah, stuff. I know absolutely nothing. You would have never. Triumph. We would have sat here all day if you would have had to. Guess. Never in a million years would I have come up with that band name. But I have lay on the line. Yeah, and they had a couple others you might recognize, but uh, there was one funny part where they were like. Um, in like, you know, MTV's thing started to take over and that's kind of where they started getting like, you know, they hired a producer and then he was like an ass and they're like, dude, we don't want to work with you anymore and started tearing the band apart basically. Mm. 
And did they hire a therapist who gave them? They didn't, but the stickers? but the engineer was kind of their therapist. He was like, he's like, yeah, you guys should fire the producer. Oh, like he's not. It's good for you guys, and I'll keep their names out of it because they were semi-famous guys. Um, <laughs> as if, as if they were might in the still documentary. be who might still be producing. Yeah. Um, anywho, basically said you have to run home and write a single, and this is like 1985 or something like mm-hmm. that. So, and they show the cartoon. He like he grabs his guitar and he runs home to like you know go write a song. And then they played the song, and I was, and he's like, it was on radios everywhere, and you couldn't go anywhere without hearing it and stuff. You've never heard it? Never heard the song <laughs> in my life. I'm, and even Mandy was like, what the hell? I've never heard this song. It was on the radio bullshit. all day. So that was kind of fun. But yeah, fucking Triumph, man. I got a new band. I got a new favorite band. I love this. I think this is a perfect... This is right in the wheelhouse of Dave's docs. This is this is the exact sort of shit that I because I, why we I do never it. never I, ne- I never would have known about Triumph and now I do and I'm still thankful yep. that I do. You'll see it, yeah. If you go to the go to your Amazon Prime page, they'll have it up. There. I might throw it on a playlist. Probably a recommended. Get their uh, Spotify up, plays up for them. You know? Yeah, good of fucking Triumph, man. Hell yeah, let's talk about some freaking future gear. Let's talk about gear. There's some stuff to talk about, so we're gonna talk about it. Okay. Uh, a bunch of pedals this week. Uh, mostly pedals, in fact. Really? Uh, but there's one other thing we'll get into. I but didn't we'll hear wait about a, a lot of pedals. I know, week. and a lot of our late breaking, including th- including things that were announced just this morning. And I've noticed that's been happening a lot lately. Friday's the big drop. Friday's day. the drop day. Yeah. And it, it makes it difficult for me as an outline writer right. because I'm like, well, what are we gonna miss? And then we're a whole week late. And we've got to start with this one because I have a personal connection to this pedal, and this is the Earthquaker Devices Life Pedal V3. Uh, you, Dave, know this, and our listeners may recall that when the Life Pedal V2 came out, I got to do a little demo ski for the Chicago mm. Music Exchange folks for that one. And now they've come out with the V3 version. So if you don't know what the Life Pedal is, it is the Sun, the band Sun, yeah. their signature That's right. fuzz pedal. That uh, they obviously there was a version one that I feel came like out. We originally. just talked about this thing some, for some reason. I don't believe that we did. Not the new one, but like the last version. It's something. a great freaking pedal. Yeah, I'll tell you that much, folks. Uh, the first one came out as a limited edition kind of package deal with their Life Metal record, mm-hmm. and then people really liked it. So then they came out with the Life Pedal V2 with some like slight tweaks, but it was basically almost the exact same original pedal. Yeah in a, a more sort of widely available uh, release and enclosure uh, life pedal v3 is now taking that sort of v2 version and tweaking it to the nth degree mm. to make it even better and more sort of what they want and and more flexible for the end user so uh they basically if you don't know it's based around a rat like mm-hmm. that's kind of the original circuit that's sure. at the, the center of this thing not even compare it. it is a direct clone oh, okay. of the original white face rat circuit but they have then now tweaked certain things because originally it was based on these like very um hard to get uh i think lm308 i believe chips and the difference with this pedal and the originals or the original two versions as well is that you can now switch from that as being your clipping option to some other clipping options we'll get back to that but uh the the main thing that's different about this one is that before it had an octave function that you could act, uh, mm-hmm. access. Now it has a separate foot switch for that, and it has a blend, so you can actually blend the octave rather than it just being sort of like on or off. And then there's an expression pedal input, so you can even fully blend the octave. So it's got an octave built in. It's got the main fuzz circuit or the distortion, however you want to think about it. And then it also has a boost, so it's okay. just got like a clean MOSFET boost that goes with it as well. It is crushing. I love that pedal so much. And in listening to the demos of this new version, I'm just like, 
they haven't changed it enough that it's like so different, but it's definitely more flexible and usable now. And, and I say this every week about something, but I think, no, that's not true. I was going to say, this is the only thing that I want to buy this week. There are two things I want to buy this <laughs> week. So they can't go that far. Um, but I love it, man. The octave fuzz. Um, I, I, I think we've talked about this before, but it's based on the Shanae, uh, FY two and FY six units. Um, but those are super hard to find and don't sound great all the time anymore. Cause they've got, abused and all that sort of stuff so it's a great way to get that sound my only sort of complaint is that you can't use the octave alone you can only use the octave sound when the distortion's on yeah you can use the bus uh the bus the boost independently that's kind of nice of everything else so if that it could just serve the yeah if they would have just separated that octave into a set i mean it could have been there must be a reason for that and it's got these like fancy flexi switch things now which earthquaker is using where it's either like uh, fully on all the time or momentary, which I do like that hmm. functionality as well. You can just like step on it and then you can just hold your foot on it and, and then, then yeah. really, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's pretty neat. Uh, let's see what else is there to say about this. Oh yeah, I guess I'll just re- mention again that um, there are multiple uh, clipping diodes. So there's um, you, the original traditional circuit uses a single pair of silicon diodes, which contribute to what, what many would call a sort of tight or compressed sound. Uh, it also has two clipping options that are separate from the original, including uh, no diodes, which if you've ever had, that's a pretty common option. In a lot of distortion pedals, uh, what almost always happens, it makes it a lot louder, maybe mm-hmm. a little less sort of what I would consider character to the distortion sound, but it just makes it a little more sort of like brutal and loud and destroys the front end of your amp. Very useful in certain things. And then the second position uh, uses two silicon diodes and one LED in an asymmetrical clipping configuration, which is a slightly compressed and smoother uh, distortion, more sort of in line with like what you would expect from a tube amp. You know? Okay. So uh, it isn't. It doesn't just have to be the full on onslaught of like insane yeah. sun distortion. And, you can and, dial it in. And the way that they have built this, you can use it in a lot of different ways. But the way that they really built it is because they only use hundred watt tube heads and, and a lot of them <laughs> yeah. they're designed to hit the front end of a very loud yes. tube amp right, so that's right. like optimal quote-unquote usage of this but you can because of these different tweaks and such you can definitely use it in a lot of different setups and including set. uh, one of the videos that i watched was just straight up into a line six helix so it's yeah. like direct modeler into your interface and it sounded fucking sick really yeah Ooh. uh I really like it. I still have never owned one, even though I made the freaking demo. This might be the time. Did you make the demo the second one? V2. Yeah. yeah. Which still, it's got a lot of views and there. It's, I still think it's, it sounds great. I really like that. That demo actually is one of my favorites I did for them. Um, I'm trying to think. So, so the V2 was, was widely available, right? That was the whole idea behind mm-hmm. it and the tweaks. The third one, they're going to make that pretty available too. As well. Yep. Closely. And the, yeah. So it goes from two foot switches to three. It's a little bit bigger. Slightly tweaked, has the expression pedal input, so you can much blend you the octave. Everything in. you need, though, from the other versions, I would assume. And and I would argue p- potentially a little bit more. Cool. Yeah. So I'm all about it. Dave, what does it cost? Two hundred bucks. Boom. Two ninety nine. Ooh, it's yeah, up there. That's a lot there. for. A, I mean, it does have some other stuff. It's too. got some other stuff, but it's it's not it's not a cheapy. It's, it's not a cheap you know it's three box, yeah. three foot switch right. size, so it's a little bit on the bigger side too. Sure. But yeah, for, you're you're right. You're sort of creeping into the more expensive rat territory sure except you know of course it has the octave and the, the boost yeah. as well second thing we're going to talk about today because there's we're going to close out with a couple actually with a few pedals but i want to get into it because we got a bass to talk about dave we do fender bass that came out this week 
They did. A little signature bass for Mononia. Oh, yeah. I like that. Was announced this week. Okay, you liked it. We'll start uh, there. I wouldn't buy it. Mm-hmm. It's not my thing, but I like it. Okay, so if you don't know who Mono Neon is, he's collaborated with Prince, who's already come up. I uh, recorded Making a Movie with Neo, won a Grammy for Best Rap Album with Nas, massive YouTube channel. He's a very sort of eccentric bassist, I would say. Yeah. Very colorful. Very colorful. Bassist, and that's that's translated in the design in, of the, in the In the design of the instrument, yeah. Uh, it's Neon. It's Neon. It is an <laughs> older body finished in what they have called an eye-popping neon yellow urethane with a, no, a neon orange headstock and pickguard. Yep. Uh, 22 fret, one piece roasted maple neck. Uh, it's got 10 to 14 inch compound radius fingerboard. I should mention uh, it's freaking five string. Yeah, it forgot, is. Forgot five string that. jazz. Yep. Five string jazz. It's got uh, what they call custom wound fireball five string bass humbucking pickups. Yeah, essentially. So it's like stacked. They look like stacked uh, single coils. Like stacked jazz pickups, stacked basically. Jazz pickups, yeah. But two, two sets of those. Uh, and it's active with an 18 volt active preamp and three band EQ. Uh, it's got a, the Fender high mass, which is sort of like their badass style. Kind of a badass, yeah, high mass on bridge. there. Gold hardware uh, includes the Mono Neon sticker pack and a custom headstock sock. <laughs> so for people who've never seen Mono Neon, he one he plays it upside down. So he he's right. it's a right handed bass, but he plays it upside down left handed and doesn't restring. Doesn't restring it. it. Um, it's just literally flipped. And then he wears a he puts a sock on the top of the uh, base. I, I think one because it looks wacky and no one's ever mm-hmm. really done that. And two, it might actually mute some of the um, it kills overtones. Some of the overtones. It yeah, does. It does. I've definitely I've experienced put, like, I've that in more the, of a stu- in like a stereo or a studio setting, putting like some foam up there. Yeah, or foam. Mutes. We used to do like foam under the bridge down there, mm-hmm. or you can put like you know people put like a hair, a hair tie at exactly. The top. Yeah. yeah, that kind of just keeps the strings from over overly vibrant. Especially when you've got new strings, it yeah. can definitely kill some of those. It's a lot of that squeak. I've up. never like felt like I needed that, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's it is definitely his thing, and yeah. I think it's kind of cute that it does. Include he stands that. out. I mean, I, I got to say, in the world of you know industry musicians. He's got a look, and people recognize him when they see him. Oh yeah, we he he did the he did a thing with Sadowski or or uh, Sandberg, Sandberg at NAMM when at we were NAMM. there. Yep, yep, that's right. I that was actually my introduction to him. I had never even heard of Mono Neon before that. Yeah, I I had heard of him before that, but he wasn't as big as he is now. Yeah. I mean, he's really well. Shit, he's got a signature Fender bass. Yeah, now. that's I didn't even realize he was that big to be honest. I would argue it's before we get into sort of personal feelings on sure. it. Sure, I would argue that it's one of the most, mm, well, certainly flashy, but I would say recognizable fender signatures they've ever made absolutely you 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 could not mistake that from anything else in a lineup totally so that's cool and I, I dig that and i also feel like you would buy that you wouldn't really mod that base you'd be like this is what it is or you completely mod it and or you could totally paint it and it. do crazy shit right but i'm even thinking of like you know just the way they designed it well did we talk about so the colors it's you said it's orange it's a it's that uh neon yellow neon yellow with, body with orange headstock and guard yeah and which by the and it has uh i believe it has blocks too right uh ivory block i believe it has blocks yeah yes. like a 70s style when i when i first saw white it, white pearl blocks. white pearl blocks. Right. thank you yeah when I first saw it in the image, I was like, oh, it's like some kind of 70s reissue because mm-hmm. the orange headstock kind of looked like the amber. It's amber, exactly. Right, and then it had the, the white blocks, and I was like, oh, that's cool. They're doing like a cool 70s reissue, and then I saw it up close, and I was like, oh, they this is like a neon orange or something. Mm-hmm. I really wonder how it translates in person to see. You Every, know? Yeah, the pictures that I'm seeing. They don't look as wildly bright. as I those. would imagine are going to be brighter. Yeah, because the guy the literally life. wears like the craziest outfits. Super stuff. colorful neon yeah, outfits. Glowing glasses and stuff. <laughs> exactly. Just really, really out there. 
Uh, fantastic fucking bass player, though, dude. Oh really God. ripping basses does that like pluck thing a lot. Yeah, which is yep. something I have feelings about. But he's so good. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, Dave. Here's we know how it's cost. How we know how it's cost. <laughs> we <laughs> know how much this thing costs. Yeah. It's fifteen forty nine, which is expensive, but it's not made in America. No, that would be no. If it was made in America, it'd be probably a twenty five hundred dollar base. I would bet. It's just a, going by. Their current market. Fender is doing much more signature work out of the Mexican factory. Yes. And I wonder what that's all about. You know, they recently, I think a few years ago, just started doing the Getty Lee in Mexico mm-hmm. too. And they have, so now they have a US, Japanese, and Mexican versions of that's that. That's crazy. Which I don't know if they still make the the Japanese version of it. Probably there they do. That might that be market. why they changed it. Yeah. But um, yeah, they're, you know, it, it, I'm trying to think if there's any other SIG models. The, the Troy Van Leeuwen, I know You're it right. is. Yep, that's a good one. I think one. maybe the Jay Mascus. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember. I think if that so. I know they not. made a Japanese one for that. I think because he has a signature Telly. He has a Squire. I think, that, I think the Telly might be made in Mexico. That's right. That he did come out with a Telly. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Where was that Strummer? Was that U.S.? Nope. That's a Mexican. Is it Mexican? Yep. 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 The 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 old one and the, and the, new the 2008 one. model yeah. and the new one that's coming out. Um, yeah. I mean. I just I feel I'm it's surprising to me to see the price over fifteen hundred dollars coming out of the Mexican factory. But I I would imagine that's got to be one of the most expensive things that they make or if not the most expensive thing at this point. I will say this. uh, If you want a little bit of a hack, a little touch and tips with Dave. Mm. The Fender Blacktop Jazz Bass has the same configuration. So they made those for a few years. I remember that Mexican Mm -hmm. made, I believe. Same pickup configuration with the stacked single coil jazz pickups. I don't. I can't say if they've made a five string version of that. Though. Mm-hmm. So if you really want the five string, obviously this is, is going to be go. the way to do it. Or mod your five string mm-hmm. jazz. But yeah, I mean it's a little it's a little expensive. I would assume that a signature model would cost more. And now that we're talking about it, the Joe Strummer model I think was like around the same price. Okay. for that telly, maybe mm-hmm. a little less because it's Telecaster. Yeah, but like it was like in the twelve hundred or thirteen hundred. But yeah, that's what we're saying. Now, I, I think on the secondary market, people are going to buy this thing. They're going to be like, I'm kind of tired of playing it. They're going to throw it up on reverb. I don't think these are going to be gaining value. I think it's going to drop a few hundred. So I feel like I, I think I agree I think with you. If you, you hold out, one. you'll probably find a used one for the 1100 range, maybe hmm. even a thousand. Oh, that's uh, just pushing it, buddy. That's pushing Ooh. it. But yeah, I mean, the, the I Mexican. I wonder if the, so- if the sock will be clean. The sock, yeah, I don't want the sock. Keep your dirty socks. Yeah, get your one dirty sock out of here. Um, I, I, I have to say, I mean, the Mexican, the quality stuff, and we've talked about it time and time again, Fender's Mexican uh, made, or their Mexican factory guitars are very good quality. Of course. Um, it, me and you, as boomers, hmm. we grew up in a time where you could get a Mexican Stratocaster for 300 bucks or something. Or less. Yeah, totally. I think uh, I paid 150 for my Mexican <laughs> bass. I'm yeah, not joking. I was going to say, my buddy had a, a jazz bass that was like 200 bucks mm-hmm. or something. So, you know, they're they're gaining value. Uh, the newer ones, obviously, that's going to raise the market on a lot of the older stuff, too. It will. But it's a cool bass. I uh, I don't want it. I want to play it. I want to try it. And I actually want to play a five-string, man. I haven't played a five-string in years. you got to get a five-string so I can try it. Just to go, boom. And then... I'll have to get my own five string. <laughs> I don't need any more freaking bases. I need to sell know, stuff. Man. I've got two. I've got the two ones that I need. I don't need anything. You're else. pretty no set. More, no you're, more bases for pretty me. Pretty good. You know what? I'm not set on what this next freaking pedal that we're about to talk about. Something you need. I freaking need it. Tell me, dude. What's Hit this? Me. Is weird for me to get so excited about a boss pedal, but I am. That is weird because it is. Boss has released a 
or is it out? No, it's available soon this month. A pedal that is a sort of both upgraded, but also in many ways simplified and downsized version of a pedal that I've always wanted. And back in my Zounds days, actually sort of like had borrowed quote unquote from them for a while and then gave back. And that pedal is the Boss SL2 Slicer. So originally it was the SL20, which was one of those double pedal boss dealies, right? Like the size of like your, the RE20 looper that you yeah, have. Yeah, the looper, right. It was one of those, but it was a rhythmic chopper. So basically different types of patterns of different types of sort of almost tremolo type sounds. Okay. In a double pedal enclosure. That's kind of a lot to ask for what is in many ways sort of like a gimmicky kind of thing. Well, now this SL2, uh, Chops it down to normal boss pedal size, Ooh. which game changed. Yeah, big time. So uh, the way that they describe it is they they take the incoming signal and then uh, add sort of uh, a, almost like a percussive attacky sound mm-hmm. to it, which you can really uh, you can affect whether if that's like super choppy or kind of like fades in a little bit, etc. You have control over that. Uh, now this time, and so there are a bunch of different preset patterns and all kinds of stuff like that. This time you get 88 onboard memories to choose from categorized into eight pattern types. Now also, because this is 2022, there is a companion boss tone studio application and via USB, you can connect the pedal to your computer and control all sorts of parameters, like to create presets, yada, 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 which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, you can also then load alternative patterns, organize memory banks. Uh, you can then even, uh, turn the knobs and it'll like know know what's going on. Uh, it includes attack and duty knobs for adjusting the waveform. So like at the signal that it's taking and chopping, you can do basically affect it how you would like a synthesizer or something like that. Okay. Make swells and whatnot that come in and out. Uh, you can set the tempo with a dedicated knob, tap tempo, or external MIDI because it has input for freaking MIDI on the pedal. I mean, now we're talking. We're talking 2022. Uh, now, this is the most important thing, and this is how I've, I've been beating this drum the entire time we've had this freaking boomer show. Every pedal should have a blend knob on it, and the SL2 is no exception, and it does, in fact, include the blend knob. Oh, so it has one. Rather than just being super obnoxious, yeah. like always in front, like ding, 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 That would ding, be. Ding, you could, which yeah. is cool for some things, you can blend it down and just have, have it a sort clean of tone like behind clean it. tone going with it, the, yeah. exactly, with however you want. So almost like a, almost like a cool delay effect or something like that really yeah it's uh, it depends on how you use it but it is it's it's to me it's sort of the closest analog i can give is a is tremolo but it's like and it has i guess it has you could do tremolo with it but that's not why you get this pedal it takes your signal and like chops it off in, in, in interesting rhythmic ways that you just there's no way to get that sound from not having a pedal it's one of those yeah. it's one of those pedals that does something that you just couldn't ever approximate like with an amp or right, anything right, else like right. that it does it, its own sort of interesting thing and then again like i said it has midi so like in this day and age with the different sort of ableton setups that people have or like a, a midi controller on your board you, you just have so much so many more possibilities mm-hmm. with what you can do with this thing have it sync to your drummer in real time all sorts of crazy stuff uh last thing i'll say about it it's freaking stereo so send it out to multiple amps, have, bathe yourself in three-dimensional sound. <laughs> the world Take yourself here. a little naked tone bath. Yeah. I'm going, I am going to get 
the Boss SL2. Slicer. You are getting it. Yeah, dude, you're buying I have a Boss to. pedal. I have to. It's. I've always, always wanted the SL20, but I just like it's so big and clunky. The other nice thing is that uh, because the original came out in 2008, uh, now that it has an even, even though it's a much smaller pedal, it has a much more advanced right processing sound just because on the inside because of time. So, yeah. uh, game has changed. SL SL20s are going to get cheaper. I bet. SL2s people will be upgrading and you said this is really the only pedal that does that by any manufacturer you know that we people, know people do think I mean once this came out of course other people are gonna try to copy yeah. it right right there are other things like it I've never used one that I thought was as cool as that original SL20 and but again it was just like always so big I could never like rationalize having yeah because it is a sort of thing where it's not I don't think you're gonna it's not like a new distortion where you could just like keep playing the same songs you're playing with a, just a different distortion pedal this is one of those things where you're gonna like jam around voice. it you're gonna write with it you're gonna yeah. create new songs with it it's gonna it's gonna change the way you're gonna you think need about it your instrument. to use for those songs that's yeah. right it's yeah. gonna become instrumental <laughs> and necessary is it out yet it is out this month but it is not out yet okay what does it cost i mean it's a single pedal. Yeah, single single uh, chassis. But keep in mind that it, it also has like computational stuff digitally, like a chips there's and a lot, whatnot. There's some stuff the going on. Indeed. USB as well. I'm going to say 160. <sighs> so close. 170. Dude. That was close. That was I almost real, nailed it. I, you know, I, would, I, almost, I almost pooped myself on that one. <laughs> I bet you could find it for 160. Some, someone will, some authorized dealer. You know that it's going to be... I didn't say shipping. Discount. <laughs> and then it'll include, it'll include a patch cable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, dude, I'm excited. Yeah, about it. I love. I want to play with this thing. I know dude. it's and it's like and it's a, it's a cool green color that I like too. So like it even just like looks nice and it's got like concentric knobs because it's you know there's a lot of controls that you're gonna want to have but you've never been able to plug it into freaking USB to your computer before and that's gonna be the yeah. way that I would I would use it. Uh, thinking outside, but along those lines, mm. can you can you get this with the Kemper? Could you, do they have a patch for that? <sighs> I don't think so. Wow. I don't think so because it's a very specific rhythm generation. And then the way that it not, not even just like the rhythm of the chopped segments, those right. audio waveforms, but then what you can do to affect to manipulate them and manipulate them right. is its own unique. You need the box. You need the box. Wow. Yeah. It's its own, it's its own separate thing. I mean, eventually I'm sure they could figure out like the software and people could clone it, but and it's maybe so, put it in their own. I, I get what you're saying. Things. There's so many, nobody could ever just clone it because it's, there's so many options and so much to do yep. with it. Yeah, yeah, it's a very specific thing. I, wow. I'm, I'm excited about it. I like getting excited about pedals. Me too. That's one. I'm last thing we're gonna talk about today. There's another pedal that I'm excited about for completely different reasons. I'm super into this, and this is what we're gonna close out. Oh, on. okay. And this is a new multi effects pedal. Okay. Analog multi effects pedal. Okay. Made by Morley. Ooh, right. I know some people that are getting very excited. About it is this. the Morley AFX one multi effect. And, and I don't always do this on the show, but I actually included a screenshot of this because I want you just to take a look before yeah. we get into it. I want you to see what this bad boy looks like. You see that monster. It's a monster. Indeed. Whoa. That is a big shiny metal box. Is the pink on there? Like, is that from a light? That's or a light. Is... Okay, That's totally okay, light. Okay. It's got so like those. Old, I like old, it, it. It's a it's a major throwback to the old school Morley look with the yep. big honking yep. wow pedal, like and, gas pedal, and then giant metal box of like brushed aluminum yep. or something underneath it. Yep. So it's all analog, multi effect. Uh, it has 
I, I think that they're going after boomers like us, yep. basically, who are like, I want a quick grab and go multi effect kind of thing, but I also don't want to do any digital menu diving. I want analog sounds. I want to plug it in my amp at my practice space and just go for and it. just have yeah. good sounds with some touches of flexibility, but really just yeah. meat and potatoes. So what it is four Morley effects in uh, probably uh, capable of withstanding a nuclear weapon attacks yeah. Uh, yeah. enclosure. Um, they are uh, it's it, I mean like we, we've talked about the aesthetics a lot I think it's it's obvious to me they're trying to make a play for people who like the way that the old stuff looks yeah right? I, know, I know a boomer who has we've really dropped that <laughs> that term we're a booming lot. all over this uh, I, I know a boomer who has every one of those from that original right. line like so with the oil can this one. delay the oil and can all that delay. Shit, that's right dude, this so doesn't weird. have an oil can but it does have it's probably an got a great delay, delay. yeah uh, so uh, start with the wah it's. I mean, I think that's the thing Morley's probably most known for, right? Uh, it has. It has a wah. It's got that switchless deal, which yep. is fucking sweet. And I've never owned one of those, but I think they're super neat. Where you just step on, you don't have to click the thing. It just turns on. Just and, goes. Yeah. Uh, it has the uh, trademark oversized foot pedal, but glow in the dark this time oh, around. Come on, yeah, Morley? dude. Morley is just they're, they're getting it. Uh, they've got the diamond distortion effect, which is a pedal that they already make. Uh, it's a stackable channel structure. You've, it's kind of high gain, but it's you can you can get good mid mid gain sounds out of it too. With a bunch of tone shaping, uh, including a three band EQ, you can do pre and post gain dials. It has uh, everyone knows my favorite effect. What is it, Dave? Uh, chorus. It has the crystal chorus. <laughs> Which is another one of their pedals based on those uh, their classic diecast series uh, stereo chorus for Bravo. I, I had that pedal, so it's based on that. Yeah, super simple. Uh, it's just I think it's just two knobs, right in depth on there. It's I mean that's two more knobs than you ever need for a control or for a chorus pedal in mm-hmm. my opinion. And then finally the Emerald Echo, which uses NOS bucket brigade brigade chips by the way pan a real panasonic hmm. old school vintage uh, chips inside there uh which gives you 300 milliseconds of delay with echo repeat mix controls it's it's your s- standard sort of cool cr- almost crunchy warm sounding uh, uh analog delay sound hmm. uh it has stereo out which is cr- really cool and also an effects loop so you can put other effects in, I don't remember exactly where it is in the in the chain, but you can if you have other pedals that you want to integrate with this, you could very easily do that, or you could go to like a four cable method on your amp if your amp has an effects loop too. Okay, cool. I think this is really cool. It's a I'm, hunk of steel. I'm bro. surprised how cool I think this is. Yeah, I I don't. I'm kind of surprised too. I don't I don't know why. I it's maybe it's just because it's it looks. I like the way that the big heavy metal box looks. I like the big honk and wah and, and, I ha- and i have been i have been gassing for a while i was lately. just about to say we've been doing some wah talk lately we, a lot of wah behind the scenes wah talk because i yep. haven't bought one yet right i will i don't know if that's the wah i want but i think this is really freaking cool and i love that it uses nos vintage chips in there oh it's so cool that's i mean that's gonna be neat. the big seller it is yeah. so well, these have to be somewhat limited, then, right? I mean, it's. I would think so. Would this, is, this isn't going to be. You're not going to find these. Once they run out of the shelves at your chips, local big box, they're not going to start making more out of a cheaper chip. Yeah, I mean, and they I, might. And but. I don't think that. I don't think that there is any world where they morally thinks like, "Oh, we're going to take over the whole multi effects market no, with this." They this is, they have a demographic. This is boomers dialed in, and we're we're them. So <laughs> as a boomer, as, wanna, a, as the gear boomer, what are you going to pay for this? This I have a feeling this isn't going to be cheap. Well, I don't know, because. I know that Morley construction and especially the old stuff. I know the old stuff is very valuable. Four effects, 
stereo out. You're combining those with the bucket brigade chips. Yeah, I'm gonna, huh, I'm gonna say five hundred bucks, dude. Four ninety nine. That was a great call. All right. I personally, when I was before, I didn't see the price to start when I was reading about this, watching demos and such. I thought it was gonna be a lot more expensive than that. Actually, I thought it was yeah, gonna be like I se- actually seven ninety nine. I was about to say this is a low ball thought, but five hundred, but. I was thinking that is going to sell some units. That's the price. Oh my god! Well, especially if you're telling me that this is going to get us close to, you know, people who love those morally pe- those are hard to find. Yeah, like the original those canister, you know, crazy ones. And if you do, they're often not working right and yep. need work. Yep. And this is a modern construction morally, but with that vintage aim and aesthetic. I, love I'm, I'm, I mean, you've seen what it looks like. It's like it, it looks cool. It, it's maybe one of the coolest looking pedals I've seen in a while. With, it's those swirly aluminums on the top. Yeah. And that's and the fucking glow, giant. It looks like dark, a truck dark, gas whirly. pedal. Like the watts. Oh, it's crazy. There might as well be mud flap girls in the back. Of this <laughs> yeah, thing. But not but not that like, rubber trashy. Yeah. No. Oh, my God. If you're ever going to put truck nuts on your gear, <laughs> it would be on your Morley multi effects. Yeah, AFX one. But. I don't know. I inst- I would actually hang this instead of truck nuts off the back of my truck. Just hang the pedal. The multi effect. Yeah. I uh you know what's funny about you wanting this is like I don't I don't see you as a multi effects guy. I don't I don't even want I don't I don't I I, I don't know why. You pride yourself in cool. your individual pedals and setting them up and doing different combinations. And I'm these days I either I plug straight in most of the time. Yeah, right. Well that is the nice thing about the multi is you just go one cable, that's you're right in. Um, one power you can, supply you can just leave it over there and plug it in whenever you need it it's so. almost like i have a full pedal board that does, does the exact same thing and i don't even plug that 500 in. seems like a good deal if i wonder how many units they're going to make because yeah. i could see these getting valuable in like 10 years if they sell like out of all of them that's a good call i think you're right and i'm i, I never think people should buy things just to uh because it's going to go up in price because that would you know we, t- we had a whole show about that we once. Did. but uh this i don't think this is going to lose value I don't think so either. The only, you know, looking at it right now, I really like it. I don't really like those knobs. I would probably replace the knobs. Easy fix. I've got a whole bag of freaking knobs. Um, and it might even be cool, but since they're all the same knobs, it might be cool to go with like a less uniform look so you can have, so like, oh, I'm oh, touching yeah. the freaking chorus right now. I would do that. Yeah, they're different colors. And I mean, even looking at this too, I bet there is enough room in here. You could get, you could do some modding on this and drill some extra holes and do some extra stuff too. Yeah, you could. Um, it's all and it looks like a heavy, heavy little bastard too. Oh yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna stand up to the rigors of your freaking. You're or, not gonna just your Harley Davidson toss that into a, on into a backpack and go, you know, hit the get on the bus. I mean, I bet you could. I don't know. It'd be a heavy backpack. It'd be a, it'd be a freaking. Wouldn't be your Jansport. <laughs> You're not throwing it in the, your fanny over no, the shoulder. Dude, no way. I like Wowzers. it, man. I, I do it. too. I want to get make a rig with only the stuff that we talked about: the mono neon base, boss oh, slicer, the ultimate, the fucking life pedal, and then this multi effect. And and I will say from personal experience, at least from using the old Morley effects pedals, uh, they do work well with bass. I, I've used them at least on the old ones. I can't vouch for this new one. Hmm. But I would say it'd be a safe bet that you could probably do some cool stuff with bass on that. Dude, you know, speaking of, I was having a conversation about this exact thing with Max earlier this week, our good buddy and former guest. And he was telling me that he started playing with this other band. And uh, some way, somehow, he heard the use of a Marshall jackhammer pedal Hmm. on bass. Mm -hmm. And he really liked it. And and, And he said that the thing that he really liked is that it didn't cut out all the bottom end. Right. So then, he got him on this little tangent. Which he realized he pedals, had really? 
he had this other black star distortion pedal, like a tube distortion that didn't have a power supply, got the power supply for it, tried that on bass, thinks he might like that even more. Hmm. That's a lot of the bass through, which uh, is our biggest problem with, with guitar pedals on bass. I, I mean, I, I have, and I'm, I'm sure I've talked with you about this and, and other friends, but you know, a lot of the bass pedal marketing is just marketing. You know, they say that, you mm. know, uh, obviously there's things you can do to dial in more bass. To allow more pedals. of that bottom end to come through. Yes, yeah. but, but generally... You know, I, I've had, dude, my two uh, stomp boxes, I mean, the Civil War and the um, the Grace Beck, the Chicago oh, Stomp Oh, sure. Those are both guitar pedals. And right. I use them for bass. They sound great. So. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, experiment with your guitar pedals if you're a bass player. Out Definitely. There. Experiment with your bass pedals on the guitar, too. Yeah, micro synth, man. That bass micro cool. synth. We just used that as an episode image Damn recently. Right. Go check it out. I wonder what we're, what should the episode image be for this one? The as revolver gear, cover, gear, maybe? Bo- gear boomers, but like with our faces on oh, there. Just like old, like a cane. <laughs> old and crotchety about guitars. Give me a fender. <laughs> well, buddy. That was great. We got. That was a good episode great app, right dude. there. I like the energy. I like looking at your face. The sun's still out. I like the black tea. Yeah, well, as much as it's been out today. The light is still out, I should well, say. Yeah, there's a little bit of diffused light still. Yes. So it's been good, man. It's been real good. So, folks, if you made it this far, why don't you go make some music? 